in prayer. Our Father, we, we are thankful. We're th first of all, thankful that you're the one who's in control and not us. Uh, you're the one who's sovereign. You're the one that uh, approved your love towards all of us by sending forth your only begotten Son to bear our sorrows, yes, and our illnesses, oh, but, Father, to bear our sin and uh, to pay the complete penalty for that so that our relationship with you is secured through his shed blood and his death now nearly uh, 2,000 years ago. But, Father, thank you for intersecting with our lives and uh, changing our course dramatically. Thank you that we were able to gather together this morning here using this technology uh, from our own homes. Thank you that uh, we have the word open before us. I pray that it be a great blessing to us this morning uh, and, and in a special way would comfort us as it has comforted so many down through the centuries. Father, I thank you that uh, you've sent forth um, to help many who have, who have taken on great responsibilities in this time of national uh, crisis and world crisis. Father, I, I pray for those in harm's way that you would care for them, protect them, also give them wisdom and uh, a level of, of dedication to their work uh, that's far greater than what they themselves would have, but that you have provided, that they might serve well, Father, and honorably, and that they would be kept safe from this scourge, and that they might be a great benefit and help to others. And we do pray for so many, Father, suffering so greatly at this time in our nation. We pray for our leaders that you would guide and lead and, and enable them to do the work that's set before them. I pray that you would encourage them protect them, and may there be success here at your will and by your power, Father. And uh, I pray that for every level of our governmental systems, such as they are, uh, there's political consequences of many things, but Father, I pray that uh, uh, many would set those aside for the sake of the nation and its well-being. And uh, I'm thankful, Father, that uh, you've enabled all of us now together, together here. There are so many who've been already protected from so much. Uh, families have been regathered from far places. Uh, in the case of the Soviks, uh, from Florida. From Florida, that was a great deliverance. But, uh, Father, there are others that we're not even aware of, I'm sure. Thank you for gathering us now, and may any anxieties and stresses that are still upon our hearts, Father, I pray that they'd be lifted as we open your word this morning. And uh, Father, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're again uh, privileged to open God's word together in, uh, in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. I think the title for today ought to be, He is Coming Again, and Our Faith Will Make All the Difference. Our Faith Will Make All the Difference. No question but that we're living in very challenging times today, and 
for some of us, these times may seem more challenging, perhaps, than we've ever experienced. Uh, that certainly can be true for those that are younger. For those that are older, there have been other challenging times, too, and some of them very greatly trying of our souls and spirits. For those who've been in war, for example, in the military, uh, that's certainly often the case. Uh, others of us uh, have suffered in other ways, right? And we found, I think, if we were believers uh, living through those hard times, that uh, the Lord uh, was there to comfort us and to bless us. And, and the way he has done that is through his promises as well as through his presence, right? His promises are so important. Our spirits get caught up in the affairs of this world so easily, and our eyes are taken off of the Lord and uh, his presence. Uh, we begin to turn away even from the most precious promises of all that we have learned and held near and dear for so long. And and then we realize how far we've gone and, and come back uh, boldly to the throne of grace. And so today, as we open um, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter in chapter four again, and finish up this chapter today, um, I want us to keep in mind that if we're to be comforted in times of trial, it, it surely must be, first of all, through the word of truth, the word of promise, and the word of grace. I mean, that's what uh, Paul is writing about here. And uh, as we open this word again, uh, I pray that that would be uh, that truth, that whole truth will be written on our hearts. Christ is coming again for us. And our faith shall make all the difference, whatever our trials may be. Uh, we should be comforted, therefore, in the midst of what we see around us. Why? Well, because he has promised and he will keep his many promises. And as Paul will write here, and it does write here in these words we'll look at, it is by the very word of Jesus himself <laughs> that uh, we uh, are to be comforted. Okay, now we saw last time, as uh, we looked at the earlier verses there in chapter 4, that uh, all of us are together in this, uh, all of us saints, the, the believers, the member of the body, members of the body of Christ, we're all together. Uh, and our love, one for the other, is supposed to make the difference, too. Um, if we've been so greatly blessed by the Lord, then uh, we surely should reflect his love back to all around us. And uh, Paul makes that a central topic here in this letter. But because love is so easily perverted, and the enemy of our souls uh, so seeks that, right? He is truly like a lion uh, waiting to attack. And uh, one way, according to uh, uh, his his scheme, which has been so effective down through history, but one way he attacks is in the area of living and the purity of living that God uh, expects of all of us who have been saved, right? We're to maintain 
purity in our living, to be in the world, but not of it. And uh, Paul wrote about that very directly in the first section there of chapter four, where he directly addresses issues that normally we would like to just kind of bypass, skip over, because these are difficult areas to discuss. And one that he brings up there is the area of marriage and uh, the area of human sexuality. He doesn't skip by it. He directly addresses it because in the church at Thessalonica, it was a very major issue uh, that had come up. Now, these believers in Thessalonica were surely, in some cases, saved right out of the midst of the most evil environment one could even imagine. Now, <laughs> we think we're living in an evil environment today. <laughs> well, I don't know if it compares quite with what they had there uh, in that ancient world. I kind of doubt it. Now, many of those early believers in the church in Thessalonica were were Jews. They were godly Jews, so they might have been delivered from those kinds of, of uh, sins. But uh, then other Gentiles came in who were probably coming right in off the street, as it were. Um, we know that's true in Corinth because Paul writes a lot about it in his letter to the Corinthians. But uh, certainly it had to be the case here, too, because of the way he addresses that here in uh, chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, uh, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Okay. Um, so the Gentile world was, was consumed by these evils, and this kind of lawlessness abounded. And in the church, it sh should not even need to be mentioned. I mean, he, meant, he says it exactly that way elsewhere, right? And uh, marriage is held high, um, therefore. Uh, God had established marriage in the Garden of Eden. And his high standards have not changed since. But Satan's great desire is to destroy all that God has ordained, and therefore uh, he attacks uh, even believers in ways that are so tempting and challenging, and many fall to the, to the temptation. And so he needs to exhort these believers in the way that he does, and with a very strong exhortation here. Now, the context of it all is that they're, they were living in the light of God's promise regarding the Lord's return, okay? And that's supposed to make the difference here, and that's the whole reason why he structured the letter why he, the way he has. This letter as a whole is about the return of the Lord, okay? And specifically, the rapture of the body of Christ before the tribulation uh, begins. And we'll be looking at that directly uh, in the next few lessons here, Lord willing. Uh, the, uh, the contrasts between what believers should be expecting 
today living under grace and what others were told to expect who were not living under grace but under law uh, is great. The contrast is great. And, uh, and that's why Paul writes the way he does here. So he's going to go directly into the subject of the return of the Lord next and in the verses we're looking at now. Uh, but the whole context here, and remember, as I mentioned before, every chapter in the first letter to the Thessalonians and the second letter to the Thessalonians, every chapter has uh, an emphasis right at the end on the return of the Lord. If the Lord is returning at his promise, and if he will keep his promises, then we should live a pure life waiting for him with that constant expectation. That's the whole point of it here, really, in a nutshell. So our outline today, there are five parts. <clears throat> and uh, first, looking forward to his return, let's live responsibly, responsibly, uh, not irresponsibly, because the challenges are great, but whatever the challenges, let's live responsibly. Why? Because the Lord is returning and we're looking forward to that. That's the first point. Secondly, our personal faith will always make the difference. Always our faith will make the difference. Thirdly, Christ's resurrection is the sure and eternal hope of believers. Christ's resurrection is the sure and eternal hope of believers. And I make an emphasis there on the word eternal. It makes a great difference to know that. Fourthly, our resurrection will our resurrection will follow that of those that have gone before. He's writing to those who are alive, of course, not to those who've already passed away. So our resurrection will follow that of those that have gone before. That's a very important point because false teachers had come in the midst and confused the believers there and that had upset their faith entirely. And the final point, no greater comfort is offered by the word, but by the word of our living Lord Jesus. So Paul says it is the very word of the Lord that should comfort us. And we shouldn't need a greater comfort than that. Okay, so those are the points we'd like to look at today. First of all, uh, looking forward to his return. Let's live responsibly. And um, <laughs> I'll read these words and, and in a moment we'll, we'll get to uh, the, the section that deals specifically and directly with the return of the Lord. But this is kind of a, a transition verse here uh, in the next couple of transitional verses between that earlier section and, and the section on the return of the Lord. Uh, and here we read, and this is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, reading about responsible living. Okay, he says, study to be quiet and to do your own business. That means be really diligent, but in that, be quiet, do your own business, 
work with your own hands as we commanded you. <laughs> work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Well, that kind of goes directly contrary to the themes that we hear uh, every day now, uh, that people are victims and they're, they're not uh, expected to be responsible and to live responsibly. In fact, those that do not are in our day seem to be honored in comparison to those that do, but that's just not in line with uh, God's will and purpose for us. It says here, we should work with our own hands uh, and walk honestly towards them that are without in order that we may have lack of nothing. In other words, uh, not to be dependent, do everything within our power to be independent. And uh, so the theme there is that we should be personally responsible. Uh, life demands that otherwise the entire culture, of course, breaks down, right? Uh, if, if individuals are not personally responsible, the culture breaks down. And, and the church, the body of Christ, ought to be the premier example of that. How can we be lights in the darkness if we're not living responsibly? And uh, in the second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes again about the same thing, because apparently some did not respond to the first letter's exhortation, right? So in the second letter, He's even more strongly wording the exhortation. Let me read that for you. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. So there are two aspects there. We, we, we do our work that we may, may uh, be able to meet our own needs and the needs of our families, but we also are available, therefore, to help others who are in greater need than we. So those are the two aspects to that. So uh, we're to look forward to his return. Uh, these times are but a preparation for eternity, right? But let's live responsibly uh, each day and hour. That's the first point Paul makes there. And that leads directly into the section on the return of the Lord. And uh, here, uh, the way I'd like to put it is our personal faith will always make the difference. Our personal faith will always make the difference. Now, it's very important to therefore have faith that is appropriate, right? To have faith that's based on the revealed word of the Lord. That's where the issue comes. And that was the problem the Thessalonians had. Their faith had been moved aside from the truth of God to that which false teachers had delivered to them. 
So they were no longer relying on the word of the Lord, and that had caused many problems in the assembly there. And that's why Paul's writing the letter, the issues in the assembly. Okay, Roy, would you please read for us that first verse uh, there about the return of the Lord? Uh, chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Thank you, Roy. So Paul begins now to deal with the issue. The central issue was that their faith had been perverted. How had it been perverted? They had turned away from the truth. That's how. The specific truth they turned away from was regarding the return of the Lord and the circumstances of that. Okay, and uh, I think this is absolutely critical for us to understand or we'll have the same issue they did. And in fact, false teachings concerning the return of the Lord are everywhere being found today. And so if you talk to other believers about the return of the Lord, what you're going to find is that there's nearly no agreement as to what we should expect. So the conditions in the churches today are very similar to what uh, Paul was writing about here, right? False teachers are abounding. Those that teach and preach the truth of the rapture correctly are uh, fewer and fewer. Okay, so what Paul is writing here is very relevant to the situation we're in today. Now, the, the Thessalonians' faith had been warped by the false teachers, and that had had a consequence. And Paul is going to focus directly on that here in this section. Uh, now, the bottom line is that false teachings will always corrupt one's faith. At least that's the tendency of them. And if we put up with them, if we endure them, if, if we receive false teachers or support them, we'll always end up being uh, compromised in our faith. Now, what am I talking about here? You might not have the same idea of faith that I do. I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about. Faith always relates to what has been received, that what has been believed, okay? Faith is not a feeling. <laughs> faith is not a, oh, I feel good today, or I don't, right? Oh, I have faith and I don't? No, that's not what faith is. Faith attaches to what has been taught to a person and that has been therefore received as if it were the word of the living God, okay? So true faith, is is focused on the word of the living God. But if false teachers have confused us, we may still believe, but in that case, the belief is to no end, right? Spiritually speaking, I mean, it's misguided, it's misdirected. And so these believers had believed the truth when Paul taught them, remember he's only there for three and a half weeks or so, that that was enough to communicate the basic uh, knowledge that he felt they needed to have. 
and the Holy Spirit was there guiding and directing to make sure they had received what they uh, very much were in need of as as new believers, right? But uh, then the false teachers came in, the Judaizers and others, teaching law and teaching, I think, also secular philosophy, and that had greatly confused these these new believers, and they had turned their their hearts and minds against the truth of God and had taken as truth that which was not, that which was the lie of the enemy, right? Okay, so remember, false teachings always corrupt one's faith. Faith has an object. That object must be the truth of God and never the lies of the enemy. Okay, now the consequence of having turned their hearts away from the truth of God was that they now were in a difficult situation as some of their group, whether family or or dear friends, have passed away. They were looking for the return of the Lord, but now some time has passed, and they're also living under great persecution. So I, I, I'm pretty sure some of those who've died have died as martyrs. Others probably died as a natural course of life, right? But uh, in any case, uh, they were sorrowing, he says, not as believers should, but as unbelievers do, right? Without hope. In other words, they were sorrowing as unbelievers who have no hope. And believers who have a hope that's eternal should never sorrow like that. Will we sorrow? Should we sorrow in losing loved ones? Absolutely. There's, there's, uh, that's to be not only to be expected, it's actually part of the grieving process, right? But our hope is not for this life only. Our hope as believers is for eternity, right? In fact, our faith, if it's the true faith in what God has revealed, it, our faith latches on to eternity. It makes eternity part of the present, in other words. So we have already been blessed greatly in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, even though we're not in heaven right now fully and completely. That will await until what? Until the return of the Lord, until the rapture. Now, the promises of God, therefore, are given in order to encourage us in this life that we might rest in the Lord with a hope that is never challenged by the circumstances of this life. And so that's really the teaching in, in that verse here. Paul is introducing the section. And let's continue with the next couple of verses, because now we see it directly stated, Christ's resurrection is the sure and eternal hope of believers. Okay, and I'd like, uh, Anne, I'd like you to read uh, that for us, uh, verses 14 and 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say un unto you by the word of the Lord, that we shall um, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Thank you, Anne. Okay, so First, I want to make a couple of comments on the text found here, and then we'll get to the heart of the meaning of all of this. And there's so much here, really, uh, uh, that's so important. 
first some comments on the text. Um, verse 14 starts with the word uh, if, for if, if we believe. Now, <laughs> you might be thinking, hmm, that's not very a very strong statement. If uh, normally when we use the word, uh, we're diminishing our confidence in what follows, right? <laughs> uh, or maybe holding it up for questioning or something like that. Because that's the normal way we use the word if. We don't always use the word if that way, though. Sometimes we use it exactly as, as Paul is using it here. Rather, he's emphasizing the statement that follows, okay? And underscoring its uh, absolute authority, okay? Uh, now, in the Greek language, not in English, but in the Greek language, <laughs> there are different words for this concept. Some of them do question what follows. This one, this Greek word here, translated if in our uh, translations, actually asserts even more strongly the truth that follows. So one could say sense, S-I-N-C-E, sense we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So um, Paul is even more strongly asserting the truth of that. In fact, of course, that Jesus died and rose again is the foundation of our faith entirely, right? Secondly, if you go on a little further there, verse 15 has the word prevent. <laughs> For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Uh, well, the King James language is a little, uh, <laughs> what, uh, archaic, let's say, sometimes. <clears throat> because in 1611, when people used the word prevent, they actually were not talking about standing in the way. To prevent, but rather to go before. Now, when you stand in the way to prevent something from happening, you're standing in front of it, right? So really, this word in our current language has the concept of precede, okay? <laughs> Shall not precede. And anybody who studied Latin in high school or whatever knows that... Uh, there are Latin words behind our English language, right? Vino in the one case here, Cato in the other, prevent, precede. If you go back in our, the history of our language, they mean the same thing, okay? Okay, so Paul is saying that um, our catching up to be with the Lord in the air and our transformation at that, that time will not precede the resurrection, of loved ones who've gone before. <laughs> okay, so there's an order established here that's important for the Thessalonians and should be important for us. Okay, those things are important to recognize. The third is that he says this is by the word of the Lord. So this is a special revelation given to Paul from Christ in heaven's glory for the sake of these particular believers at this time. He wants them to know this, and that this is by the word of the living Lord. And that's so important to keep in mind. I've made a big emphasis on this lately here uh, in in uh, our studies in, uh, in First Thessalonians. Uh, there are a number of times when Paul 
has written this way to underscore the authority of that which he is writing, right? Not to diminish what he's written elsewhere, but just to underscore. This is really important. The Lord has such a personal interest in you believers that he's given me these words to share with you. Okay. In verse 15, then we reach the, the major teaching of the chapter on the return of the Lord. And so what does he say here? He says, loved ones who've already died, they're already with the Lord in spirit. But the Lord promises that they will be physically raised from the dead even before we come up to meet them in the air. In other words, the, they're not just going to continue on in some spirit realm. They're going to receive that resurrection body that they so desired before they passed away, right? And all believers should should have that hope. We will be raised from the dead physically, our bodies will be like his. Our Lord's body is a resurrection body, right? Even today. And we will be just like him. But those that have died and the Lord then returns and calls up us up for this grand meeting will have already been raised from the dead at that time so they'll be brought back with the lord to meet us right and they will be brought back in their long-awaited resurrected bodies um so they're not going to miss the full blessings of the rapture simply because they have already passed away no in fact they'll receive the blessings of the rapture even before we do now that is intended to comfort these believers who are still alive very, very greatly, okay? Because the false teachers, and we're not exactly sure what they had been teaching, but whatever it was, uh, had so disturbed these believers that they had, uh, in their faith, they had been uh, uh, turned upside down, basically, right? Because they felt that their loved ones we're somehow or other going to miss this great event that had been promised to them, that the Lord is going to return, call them up to meet him in the air, and then forevermore be with him. Okay? Having received the heavenly hope, having then been brought into the full enjoyment of that and the very presence of the Lord himself, Okay, <clears throat> so that's the teaching here. Now, <clears throat> this teaching is quite different from what Paul uh, will teach us uh, about in the next chapter that, that will go right back to what's found in the Gospels. When, when our Lord uh, taught concerning the second coming, he was not teaching the rapture <clears throat> because the rapture is for us, and, but it was not for them. Okay. Um, those living in the tribulation period will go directly into the uh, into the kingdom in natural bodies. They will not uh, receive the transformation that we will. Okay, so very different teaching in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Paul will highlight that and the contrast between that and what he's teaching for the believers living under grace there in chapter 5. And then in the second letter, 
to the Thessalonians. We'll look at next after this one. Okay, so there is a certain order here. Now, the next couple of verses give us that order very, very much in detail. So, Kristen, I'd like you to read that. First Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. So here are the details of it, just so there's no confusion, he says. It's going to be exactly like this. Now, in other places, he talks about the call of the Lord, the shout, and uh, and here, the voice of the archangel as well, right? <laughs> so this event is signaled by a calling, a heavenly calling, <laughs> indeed, uh, so powerful it catches all believers right up into heaven's glory directly but there's a certain order listed here and that order order is so important for our faith to know and to grasp onto first of all he says the lord will come from heaven right the lord's coming okay secondly the dead in christ those that have already died physically they will be raised incorruptible okay in other words physical resurrection Okay, so those that have already died who are members of the body of Christ will be raised from the dead and brought with the Lord. And then the next is that we who were alive still at that time will be caught up to meet them in the air, to meet the Lord and to meet them in the air. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is giving us more details about that. We'll look at that another time, right? About how that transformation of living believers will occur at that time. Then the next step is that we'll be with our loved ones and with the Lord. And he says, forevermore. Okay, so at that point, our heavenly inheritance will have been accomplished fully okay our dwelling place secured and we have now at that point entered into our eternal home okay uh, paul writes about that in in detail in other places too but that's the order uh, uh, of this event as specified here uh, now this is quite important um, there is a uh, a place, though, I would like us to read there in chapter 15, and I'd like Linda to read it, but in, uh, because of, of the power of this passage and the comfort that we should receive in hearing these words read. So, Linda, would you read for us, please, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 54. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall rise, shall be risen incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, inc for this corruptible must put on incorrupt incorruption, 
and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall be put on in corruption, and this mortal shall shall have put on immortality, then then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Thank you, Linda. Oh, my. These are truly precious and wonderful words, are they not? And what a comfort to those who are going through trials, right? Even trials that may lead to death, right? What a comfort if you've lost a loved one. That the resurrection is a certainty. It has been promised by the Lord, right? And not only that, but we ourselves who are alive at that time still, when the Lord calls us, will be transformed. He says, we shall be changed. He says, uh, this mortal must put on immortality, right? (laughs) What a precious promise this is. Now, some of us here in this under the sounding of my voice have never doubted the truth of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. So you might wonder how the Thessalonians could have been so easily deceived by false teachers, right? You might very well wonder that. But just think of the current day that we live in. I mean, so many have given up this precious truth. They're still uh, now, as a result, living in great confusion. Most of the people I talk to who name the name of Christ have no idea what's going to be in the future at all. They've been so confused. But Paul is preaching and teaching the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And we'll see more about that as we go ahead. And it's supposed to give great comfort to know that the next thing on the prophetic horizon for us is hearing this call and this voice from heaven. That's the next thing on the prophetic horizon. Everything in our lives here should be focused on that. Okay? So we should never take our eyes and heart off of our Lord, who is waiting for that moment to call us into heaven's glory. And so in verse 18, and I'd like Sarah to read the precious verse for us, First Thessalonians 4.18. Uh, we see that comfort offered to us. Sarah? Wherefore comfort one another with these works? Comfort one another with these. Ah, thank you. That was Lydia. Lydia Lydia. Yes, thank you, Lydia. Um, Comfort one another with these words. I can hardly go on. I'm sort of like wanting to dwell just on that one word now and leave it at that. Comfort, comfort, comfort. It's being offered. Through the word of the Lord, right? He's, he said it's by the word of the Lord Jesus that this comfort is offered. Okay? Um, this comfort is always available by faith to those who will take God at his word. And this is the word of the living God. So our faith must always focus on these 
precious promises, okay? Don't let anyone lead you astray from them. If they do succeed in leading you astray from your faith, you will find your faith turned upside down because it will no longer be matching up with the grace of God and what he is doing today under grace, right? The consequence of that is great fear and anxiety whenever hard times come and trials are surely going to come for all of us, right? So may we live our lives without distraction. May we have this great hope under grace that's being offered here. And may we be comforted. May we stand firm in the truth that Paul has given to us and never, never be led astray. Amen and amen. And uh, I, I would uh, just leave it at that, There's, except for I can't help but just read. Back in chapter 1, when Paul introduced the whole subject, he writes of the Thessalonians in such a precious and powerful way. I'd like to just read those two verses. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That summarizes the whole teaching of the letter in just two verses, right? Praise the Lord for his wonderful grace. Amen. Do I hear any amens out there? Amen. Amen. <laughs> no. amen. amen. I hear many amens. <laughs> Would anyone like to make a comment or uh, ask a question? You always have the right to do that, too. <laughs> hey, Chip, I would like to make a comment. And Go this ahead, what you said toward the end that about the uh, Thessalonians. They uh, moved away from the faith that Paul has, Paul taught them uh, earlier. Yes. And this just sort of reminds me that um, the I assume there are a lot of Judaizers, those are false teachings uh, mm -hmm. out there during that time. So yeah. naturally they created narratives. When enough people say the same thing, you are believe maybe this way. It's kind of like today, uh, fake news is propagating everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so when enough people are saying that enough population, you know, yeah. believe that, then you start questioning yourself. <laughs> Am I yeah. in a minority? <laughs> yes. <laughs> True indeed. Yeah. And uh, of course, we don't have to open our ears to it, right? <laughs> yes. We thank you. Look. The truth. Yes. Yeah, the truth uh, must always dominate in our hearts and minds or we'll be led astray, right? Any other comments or questions today? I have a, I have a comment. Stephen, go ahead. Um, and it's on verse uh, 16, because it says, For the Lord himself shall descend yeah. from heaven. And I just can't help but think that the Lord Jesus himself, this is going to be a, such a precious moment to him when he himself comes and something that he himself is looking forward to. Ah, uh, um, yes. I think is uh, something that's very noteworthy. 
Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. We mentioned that earlier in our studies in this letter, but uh, it needs to be remembered. This is going to be the great event the Lord is looking forward to, right? <clears throat> yes. Thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, any other comments uh, before we close in prayer today? Father God, thank you for gathering us. It is a great blessing to be together. And uh, uh, we so love to hear the voices of each one. Uh, and uh, the comfort they are to us is great. And uh, may we have brotherly love one towards the other and be blessed by the mutual ministry of uh, those in our group uh, day by day as uh, we go through this particular challenge. But uh, throughout our lives, Father, we, we just thank you so much for the brethren. And Father, thank you for our brother Paul, who has been taught directly from heaven's glory and has revealed these precious truths to the members of the body of God. Christ. Indeed, Father, he suffers as we do, and uh, we should uh, look forward to suffering as well, knowing that he suffers with us. So, Father, please bless us according to the riches of your grace uh, each hour and each moment as we go forward, and may we never lose this constant hope in the return of our precious Savior. He is literally waiting for us to join him in heaven's glory, and his passion is great, no doubt. Father, thank you that uh, as we suffer, uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, therefore, and uh, not only do we have this precious expectation of meeting the Lord in the heavens. But, Father, we have an, also, also the great expectation of meeting our dear ones who have gone before. And so shall we be together and ever with the Lord. And, Father, we praise you and thank you for such a precious hope. In Christ's name, amen.